0: Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar two Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone and welcome back to This is Bipolar. We are so glad that you are here with us. If it's your first time listening, my name is Shaylee Hugendorn. I live with Bipolar 2 disorder. I'm a mom, a wife, an event planner, a school teacher, and podcaster, and uh I'd like to think Fierce Mental Health Advocate. And I'm really excited today because I have a guest that's from very far away and we finally got our schedules to work. So um, I'm really excited for you to learn more about Ellen. Ellen, can you tell us a few things about yourself? Yep, so
1: I'm Ellen, I am from Australia. So I live on the East Coast, just a bit north of Sydney. And I am a psychologist. I actually have a doctorate in clinical neuropsychology. Um, But I also want to preface that saying I've mainly worked in pediatrics. So I haven't spent a lot of time working in kind of the adult mental health world. That's not my area of specialty. So I have the training, but yeah, it's not my specialty. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I'm also a mother. I've got two little kids. Um, I've been married for 16 years, something like that. And I travel a lot is my biggest passion in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. And I also do some mental health advocacy.
0: She does, and she wrote an amazing book. And I have it on my iPad, Chaos of My Mind. Did I get it right? Yes. A bipolar yep. memoir. Yes. And we will be talking about that book. And I'll put it all in the show notes. But yes, go and get it. is really good. I could. I read it in two sittings. So. It was really, really good, really powerful, of course, hard reads, because we talk about hard things. And speaking of which, I just wanted to remind everybody that we do talk about hard things here. Um, I don't so much say trigger warning, just because I feel like the entire podcast might be (laughs) a trigger, but also sometimes saying trigger warning they're saying nowadays makes you think of it first so I just would like to say we are going to talk about hard things listen to your body if you need to take breaks or you need to come back for um, a different time please 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 take care of yourself so with that being said I would love love to jump into your journey and I'm curious When, at what age or when did you start to notice that maybe there was something different or maybe there was something wrong?
1: So I, I come from a family with significant mental illness. Okay. So we have, um, I have an uncle with bipolar. I have a brother with bipolar.
0: Mm.
1: my parents have their own mental health issues. So it's, it's there. And it was always something we talked about, um, more than a lot of families, um, But within that setting, I was kind of the normal kid. I was the one that I went along without difficulties. I was always kind of did well in school. I kept my head down. I had a very um, nerdy group of friends. So we didn't kind of get into trouble and things like that. So outside things looked pretty good. Um, But when I was a teenager was when I hit my first depression. Mm. And I just went from like, I loved school. I loved doing those things. And I just didn't anymore. Um, I, I still understand. did them. So it wasn't, no one else saw it. Mm. Um, but I didn't love anything. And like, that's the first time that I remember planning how I was going to end my life. Yeah. it um, was probably around 16.
0: Um, so yeah, yeah, that would have been sort of when things. Wow. First yeah. were wrong. I'm really curious. Um, and, and reading in your book. So Just because uh, um, September was Suicide Awareness Month and I was thinking about it more and I've been um, trying to learn a few more things. And I remember I, you know, would always say, no, 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 I never had suicidal ideation or thoughts or anything. And then I start to really understand it. And I realized like, oh, okay, wanting to go to sleep, like for a very long time is suicidal ideation. My bipolar is very cyclical. Yeah. So so I didn't want to die because I like I just wanted relief. So I just wanted to sleep until I knew that the next stage would come. That was before I knew it was hypomania. Right. I thought it was regular. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm wondering if you could speak to that, like. Did you start with ideation and then, do you know, was there a quick move to thinking about a plan or was it, did it just start as coming to a plan to you? I just, I just want to destigmatize that and help people really understand. I'd love to hear your experience, what you were thinking, feeling, how that worked at, um, at this time as a teenager.
1: As a, I mean, it was a very long time ago, so yeah. <laughs> I struggle remembering exactly how that kind of played out. Mm. um like it never got to the dangerous plan of I'm going to do something right um so it never kind of you know that's the end stage of the planning it was just very much I don't want to be here I don't want to do this and I guess I didn't have at that point of this is going to end it yeah stage like this was the first time and I don't like I can't remember how long it lasted or anything. Mm-hmm. I kind of remember it because I remember what my plan was, <laughs> right. um, and kind of like, um, yeah, I sort of. So I remember that and thinking about it mm-hmm. and just not going to be here. But I was never actually going to do anything, right? Um, to do it because, and that was mainly because of my parents, particularly right. my mother. I was like, I didn't want to hurt her, and mm-hmm. I knew that that would hurt her. So that was kind of my protective factor as to
0: what stopped it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, it seems like um, the more people I talk to, that sounds and really, really similar, right? That it's not about holding on at for yourself at first, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think that's really, really hard, hard for people to understand, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious after that, so when you were, when this started, And I mean, I get it. It was a while ago and (laughs) 16. We don't know, like half the time. I don't even can't even explain what I'm feeling now when you're 16, it's really hard. Did you reach out for help or talk to your parents or was it more like you said, you were the one that was like doing okay. Did you have that pressure? Tell me about it.
1: I definitely had the pressure that I was okay. Mm. That I was normal. Uh, So no, I did not reach out to help to anyone. I didn't Mm. let my friends know. I didn't let my parents know. Um, the only thing that they noticed was that basically after dinner, I was just going straight to bed. Okay. And because I would have dinner, go have a shower, go to bed. And at one point my mom was like, do you have bulimia? Because you're going oh. straight to the bathroom after dinner. And oh, like, interesting. I was year of throwing up. So I was like, yeah. no, wow. like, not at all. But that was the only kind of thing that got noticed. And that sort of interpretation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which was wow. completely off the mark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting that you brought it up because let me know if this is your experience, but when I'm depressed, like the real, real depressed before my medication, do you live with bipolar one or bipolar two? I forget one, one, Okay. So when I would get in the deep, deep depressions, I actually one time got diagnosed with disordered eating because I would, I, I now I understand that it was something that I can, con, could control. So mm-hmm. I would like uh, uh, binge and restrict and, but it would only be when I was depressed the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about it. Did you have anything like just that you brought up that clearly you didn't have bulimia, but did you have anything that you would try to like find some kind of control when you're depressed or is it just so dark you're just coping
1: eating never like i guess depression does affect my eating so either sometimes i just lose my appetite so it's Mm. not like restricting it's just i can't be bothered and i just don't feel hungry and it just i can't think what to eat it's too hard um or there's sort of yeah a bit of binging in terms of like well i'll hate eat lots of chocolate and stuff because yeah you're trying it's to feel better, you feel, feel better and feel
0: better yeah yeah
1: um but it's more along that line not okay. me controlling it
0: yeah yeah I'm so yes. curious about that because I remember being so confused and then when I finally got diagnosed the um psychiatrist was like oh yeah that's common I'm like all oh, these like 15 years because I was diagnosed uh, diagnosed quite late um so leading into so you had this depression and um did you come out of it and go into mania or was there some time I'm learning the word for the what I used to call normal times is uh euthemia, euthymia euthymia yeah yeah I just learned that I was like oh I thought that was like normal times I'm like oh hey it is but there's a there's a fancy word for it but I'm curious (laughs) what happened kind of after that and yeah whatever you want to tell us in the in the next upcoming years after a teenager what did it look like in your life
1: so there was a mania I don't know how long between yeah I would say the mania was kind of when I was 17 okay and again I don't remember like yeah exactly what happened Mm -hmm. but I remember kind of things like being up in the middle of the night and like deciding to chop my hair off at three o'clock in the morning. And I, um, my parents had gone to a talk and it was about the brain and neuropsychology mm. and stuff. And I, epilepsy and surgery. And I was like, I'm gonna discover how to grow brain tissue. And I started like coming up with all these ideas about how I was gonna do yeah. that. And then I started writing a book about the theory of consciousness and then- Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Wow. And then there was also a book series that I was reading and then it was about teaching me how to access my magical powers. So I remember all that. So yeah. I'm fairly convinced that was a manic episode. Yeah, um, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of in that 17 year old. And then I probably had went back to kind of being stable after that. So that, and that's my general pattern. I'm the opposite to a lot of people. I have a depression first yeah, and then go up. Okay. And then,
0: then I'm okay. Yeah. And then um, the euthemia why why do i say it wrong thigh or the- thymia thigh, I say uthemia, thigh. But could be a different accent so yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go with it i'm gonna think thighs and so i can say it because literally i do this for the past three podcasts i'm like say them twice i'm gonna think of i'm a teacher so i'm gonna think of something to remind me yeah and then you do have dysthymia which is
1: people who are a bit lower but not depressed and hypothymia, where you have a bubbly personality but you're not
0: hypermania so you have hypothymia, dysthymia New words, yes. Yeah, you hey, that actually would explain a lot because I try and say I, I use the language baseline because I'm my baseline's quite high, so it was hard for people to tell I was depressed. But for yeah. me, it was depression. Oh, I learned new things. Thank you. Awesome. Yes, so when you did that, just so is it pretty cyclical in terms of timing? Like, you know, like for me it was fall and then all the way through winter depressed then may it would be like literally to the weeks and then I would be um hypomanic rapid cycling until the fall again with periods of euthymia Uh, (laughs) I got it um what did that look like for you because I know some people are like I have no cycle um did were there longer periods did it was it different each year I'm so curious
1: It was, I don't have like a yearly cycle that goes along with the seasons, but it would tend to be, so I'd have like a depression, I'd have a mania or a hypomania, depending, and then maybe like a year and a half of euthymia.
0: Okay. Wow. That's long. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So then you've gotten through high school. Did you go straight to to university or school? Yes. I went straight to university. Yeah. Tell um, me about university and having, so you're still undiagnosed at this point, right? Yes. Tell me about university and having undiagnosed bipolar one disorder. Tell me something about that and how that went and what that looked like. I know it's really hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I like learning things. So I, yeah. you know, did fairly well kind of in that environment. I, um, I also met my husband at the end of my first year and we started dating fairly soon after that and he is a very stable person yeah he perfect. doesn't have big emotions yeah. um, so he feeds off mine which is sort of good because he likes it yeah to a certain extent and then he's like no nah, it's too much now but
0: yeah
1: <laughs> but so yeah there were definite periods where he would actually come to my uni and come and sit in lectures with me to keep me going oh wow um, yeah and then there were other times like i remember one year in the exams I was obviously hypomanic probably and I just was like you know that racing brain and kind of like I'm finished it and like you know as soon as I was allowed to leave I was like well I'm done like this is it I'm a genius it's fine yeah Yeah. um but yeah I mean it sort of went through really fairly fairly steadily um but yeah the support from my husband was huge in that
0: in keeping it yeah going yeah. I uh yeah we talk about um borrowing from nervous system so my husband's pretty even keel too so I borrow a lot from his nervous system we always <laughs> we always talk about that yeah um so when you had e- manic episodes during university what does that look like for you i can hear that you're saying the where you have grandiose um ideas and also that you think you're awesome at everything which same 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 Um, but did they get really really um high did you do anything like reckless or outrageous in university was it really noticeable to your um boyfriend future husband at the time
1: I didn't have any really um extreme manias through that period like nothing that was really really outrageous the only thing that was out of keeping for me was probably some hypersexuality which was also a new relationship and you know other than me being like here at park this is a good idea my husband's like no we're not doing it in public um you know (laughs) (laughs) it's a (laughs) great idea oh yeah so that's probably like very out of keeping for my personality yeah that was going on but again it was only with him and
0: yeah it was in the realm of yeah Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's so interesting. And he, um, your husband. He did he notice the low lows? Like, did did something click for him? Was he wondering, or he just thought that's like your personality and who you were?
1: Yeah. He. I mean, he saw it and knew it, but didn't diagnose it. I guess, or like it was just that's you. That's how life is. Okay. Um. And so like. when I finally kind of went for the diagnosis thing and I was like going to the doctor, I'm like, they're gonna tell me I've got bipolar disorder. And he was like, what? You're kidding me. Like, no, where's that coming from? And I printed out the diagnostic criteria from DSM and went, here's that. And he read
0: it and went, oh yeah, they are. Uh, Right, right. (laughs) So. Oh, wow. So tell me, so while you're going through this, even you know that you're that it runs in your family, and you yes. it seems like you guys have uh, in your family have uh, a lot of awareness about uh, mental health and mental illness. Were you thinking at the time, this is something I probably have, but I'm not going to go get help for it, or were you just coping? Or tell me what's going on? Um, what's going on about thinking about those things? I think I was in real denial. Okay,
1: so. I don't remember ever kind of thinking I might have bipolar disorder okay. at all. Uh, depression, yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, until I got to the bit where I was actually going to see a doctor, yeah. um, I don't think I'd ever like consciously thought about it, but I think it was probably that denial thing of yeah, I'm the normal person and I just... yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm just gonna get on and do life and yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like those family roles or things we believe about ourselves. I know I always thought like, uh because I didn't understand hypomania and or anything like that. And I'm the first one in our family that's diagnosed. Mm-hmm. As a lay person that's not a doctor, but knows her life, I think there's definitely undiagnosed um, in my family as well. So I didn't have anything, anything to go on. But um, that's so that's so interesting, that whole roles, right? So I thought, well, I'm just really efficient. And I would get so many compliments when I was like, organized or you have so much energy like you get these compliments for this behavior that's actually yeah. they don't see behind the scenes that you're like frustrated not sleeping like yeah. all the, all the things but it's so much better yes and depression that it's almost like I ignored all the hard things about that time did you yeah yeah I you know like when say- that when that you know that hypomania coming i be like this is me I'm back like this is yes. this is who I am now like yes. yeah yeah I am the funnest, like yep. everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's the same with me, same with me. So you make it through university. You still haven't gone for a diagnosis. Have you seen a doctor at all about nothing? No. Okay. So I didn't see a doctor until I was 30. 30. Okay, so when did yeah. you graduate, graduate from university? How
1: old was so it I it? Undergr- my undergraduate, I would have been 21. Okay. 22 when I graduated. And then I had a year break and then I did my doctorate. And so then I didn't graduate that until I was 26, almost 27.
0: Wow. So you just kept going in there. That's yeah. so interesting. And I bet other people probably didn't notice either or in your family because uh, uh, my, uh, my GP, like my general practitioner doctor, I we brought him the list and was like, hey, I think this might be a thing. And he's like, you wouldn't have a degree. You wouldn't have your yeah. two children and be okay and da, 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 da. And that put me back like a ton of years. So I can imagine that because you know, you finished your university degree. You went on to your math. Do, you, do you call it your doctorate. There? doctorate? Doctorate. It was a doctorate. Yeah. Okay. So your doctorate. Um, people must have been like, she, you know, she's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did your schoolwork suffer when you were depressed, or did you have certain strategies that you were able to use to get around that? How, what did that look like when you had major depression during those times? It it didn't suffer that much with it. I think,
1: I mean, as much as sort of like that thing of having to be normal was bad because I couldn't seek help, it also was beneficial because mm. I'm like, I can't let anyone see what's going on so therefore I have to keep producing and doing and yeah like there sort of isn't a choice like this is just what you have to do um and yeah like even when I was suicidal and things it was sort of like well I'm just going to keep doing until I die and then you know
0: yeah and no one I'm going to keep doing yeah yeah oh wow that's interesting I know um And I feel like you might relate, let me know. But I feel like a lot of times, like, uh, I didn't feel valid, or I didn't feel like my depression was valid because of what we see on TV, or what, you know, other, other things. And I don't like the words high function, I feel like we need new words, high function makes it sound like you're better. And it's not, it's just different. But um, I, I was the same in that I got out of bed to do the things I had to do. Like I would go to school, I would do the things like, you know, if I was going to make dinner, if it was my turn, whatever, do those things. But any other time out of those things, I just wanted to be in bed and wanted the day to be over. And I think that it's really important to let people know that within bipolar one, within bipolar two or other, you know, it's a whole spectrum that it, you know, people say I would have never known, but it's because we don't understand that there is a spectrum and that you can. And then for a lot of things with my depression comes perfectionism, right? Mm. And then I it's a cycle of even being even more depressed because I can't live up to this perfection that I make in my head because I feel like a loser no matter what, right? Nothing's good enough, yeah. kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean for me certainly like going to when I did start seeing a doctor and mm-hmm. saying I'm depressed and I'm suicidal. And they're like, yeah. oh, but you're still going to work and no one at work is noticing or commenting. So they didn't really believe me. And because I was depressed, I literally, those was all I'd say, like, I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. Yeah. And yeah. I would just sit there. And yeah. when they were given me medication, I'm like, it's not working. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, well, well, we'll keep trying for a bit. Cause they didn't. Yeah. They didn't get it. And I couldn't really explain it at that point in time either. So yeah.
0: Oh, That's so hard because it's like, I know that it takes everything to even get to the doctor. And then you have to have like this perfect language to be able to describe it. And you can't, and then, right. And then I'm someone that's just like, I have a, my mom was a nurse. So I like doctors, nurses, I listen, like, if they say something, I'm like, yep, you know, I was never good at advocating or, um, or saying because I'm like, well, they're the expert, right? Yeah. So if anybody's listening, if you feel some of these things and your doctors are saying something else, you know, your body and and help get someone maybe to, to go with you or when you're feeling in an okay space, that's when I write down the things, right. That I remember Because when you're depressed, like the thought of writing a list of how you feel it's no, 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 no. I can, I can write
1: more than I can talk. So for me writing it down to give it to. A doctor would be much easier than
0: saying it. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. advice. I see, I'm like, a, I need to record it. I get anxious about writing down and like, I I laugh, but I get anxious about journaling. So I'll be like, whenever, so whenever they tell me journal, I had to find a way to do it speaking or, or other ways, because I'd be like, I'd be like, overthinking Like how much am I supposed to write? When is this going to be done? <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Is this how you're supposed to journal? And I'm like, yeah hey, I just want it to be over. I'm the same about yeah. writing. It's like, (laughs) they're like, do this for calming. I'm like, no, no, no. I know myself. No, no, no. (laughs) But that's awesome that you can do that because you can, you can just pass it. Right. And sometimes it's so, if we have the, if we self-stigmatize, it's so like discouraging or, you know, still, even though we know we don't need to, it's embarrassing or awkward or whatever. So I love, I love that idea of people writing and bringing it, bringing it. That's awesome. Okay, so we're going to dive into the really hard parts, because your book, you know, talks about it a lot, a lot, a lot, because that was your experience. Um, I want to talk about how, uh, how just the progression of, of suicidal thoughts, and just for people that are listening, we are going to be talking about an attempt and different ways. So again, if that's activating in your body, just a heads up. But I I just walk me through that because I read your book. I read it right away when you sent it to me a couple a couple months ago. So just refresh me on like it doesn't even have to be a timeline, but just kind of how how that progressed for you and what that looked like because it became a hyper fixation for you, right? It became yeah. tell us about that because like you said on the outside you're going to school um you have a practice right like you were working I I was working in a hospital yeah so yeah working in a hospital right so tell us I'd love um just to hear like what that looked like and felt like for you and just the timeline whatever you feel comfortable sharing I'd really like to hear yeah
1: so that year um so this was 2011 that's kind of all happened okay and so I hit, hit another depression. It wasn't anything standout. It was just kind of like, this is just what it is. Um, and I had a friend notice and it was the first time in my life that it ever happened.
0: Okay. And
1: that was really powerful. And like it was the first day she'd seen me after I got depressed and she was like, something's wrong. And I'm like, no, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just tired. And she's like, are you depressed?
0: And I was like, wow.
1: Yes. <laughs> and that was like... The first time i kind of ever said anything to anyone other than my husband like it so that was really powerful and then she basically handed me about going to a doctor she was like you need to see someone about this um and so that was sort of where that started yeah um and so yeah the for me the kind of suicidal thoughts they start pretty quickly in terms of that just I don't want to be alive anymore and yeah. that kind of in some ways thinking about it or imagining it is kind of like a comfort of yeah there is a way out um and I just don't want to do it but it wasn't like in the planning this is what I'm going to do okay. and I don't think that really escalated until after I kind of sought help being to see you know there was first there was a psychiatrist who uh, was really useless was very invalidating didn't listen to me and I chucked away the medication that she'd put me on because it was making me feel like crap and wasn't helping
0: mm. and she mm. didn't like listen. an antidepressant mm.
1: uh no it was she'd put me on epilim but it it made me really really foggy and okay. I just I felt really horrible in myself like it was it and it wasn't making any kind of difference and she was like oh well we'll try for another month and see and I'm mm. like no And it just, it chucked that away. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to push through it like I normally do and we'll see how that goes. And then I had two people die in a space of a week. Um, So a friend of my uncle died in the space of a week and the grief that I felt from that cleared away my depression. Okay. Like it was two completely different emotions because depression was all about hating myself Yep. and everything about myself, whereas brief was the sadness about losing these people.
0: Yeah,
1: And that made me go to the doctor again and try again because I was like, I can't cause this to other people. And kind of yeah. experiencing that going, I can't risk that that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, then I kind of started again with the doctor. And again, that was the kind of where I was in the, I'm depressed and suicidal. And they were kind of like, oh, well, you've just had this, you know, lost two people so, you know, it's to do with that. And I'm like, no, that actually helped me feel better yeah. from the depression. Yeah. And now it's come back and the medication you're putting me on isn't working, isn't working, isn't working. And as that was kind of going through, that hopelessness escalated because yeah. I'm doing what I should do and it's not helping and mm-hmm. I'm never going to get better. Like this mm-hmm. is, so it, that, I think it was, having that ineffective help was yeah. kind of what escalated it to the point of I, I can't do this and um, I started to have some psychotic symptoms right enter in there
0: yeah
1: um, what did so that look loose. like what did that look so like? I didn't realize until later that I had them but I okay. would I lived in a very quiet suburban area hmm. and I would walk home from work and I would hear someone yelling very mean things to me and telling me they wanted to die and I couldn't see them. Wow. And I was depressed enough that it made perfect sense that some random stranger would want me to kill myself. Wow. And I just couldn't see them. And it never occurred to me right that I was hearing voices. So when like the doctors were like, oh do you have any hallucinations? I'm like, no. And it wasn't until it stopped and I was like, huh.
0: Interesting. Probably wasn't real.
1: Um so that was one and just the kind of the belief that i deserve to die mm. and that everyone would be better off kind of got to more of a delusional point of view of like yeah this is what i deserve yeah
0: this, you know yeah. yeah i think that's what's so hard for people to understand i know um I had posted something about not using the word committed anymore and Hmm. talking about, you know, died by suicide and just the difference. And I'm not going to go all into that, but it was like wild. People had very strong feelings about it. And um, I just now I feel like even more determined to show people what people are actually thinking. And then yeah. not to like, you know, demonize it or make it seem like, how are we doing this to people that feel like you have to have very little hope. You're not trying to do something to yeah. upset other people. It's not like a revenge thing or a terrible thing. And I just keep hearing over and over that, you know, I'm a burden. I don't have yeah. to be here. Like your brain is, is lying to you. And I think that. Um, yeah, I just, I just wish that there was like more compassion because it kind of feels yeah. like that comes after if things yeah. don't mm-hmm. work out. Right. Yes. And everybody, a lot of people, like we had no idea. I'm like, I want to live in a world where we have idea. Like we, yeah. we know, we have idea. Um, Tell me about, because it just stuck out for me and it's a huge part of your book. Tell me about You talk a lot about um, escapism. Like, so this looks like to you, this is a way out. This is a way out of the sadness and the darkness and the hating yourself. This isn't like, you know, checking out um, just because. And so I know you talk a lot about um, the rope and I know it's really hard to talk about. Um, Yes. Tell me what you would like to share about that, because I just found um, I just found that uh, just a really, really powerful part of your book.
1: Yeah. So I guess um, I researched a lot as to what was going to happen and for a while. And then, yeah, I ended up on the, I'm going to hang myself and this is what's going to happen. And um, we, f- I found this rope at home and so I tested it in various ways to see if it would work. And it wasn't at the point of like, here's the time I'm going to do it, but yeah. I was coming up with like, it was getting to that point of this is going to happen. And I had it with me all the time because
0: yeah. um, I'd made you the noose- You your had purse, just, right? You had it like in your yeah. bag and stuff? Yeah, I had yeah, it in my bag. Found that. Wow, yeah. Um, partly because I didn't want my husband finding it.
1: So I was like- Fair enough. He's not going to go through my bag. No one's going to go through that. So yeah. this is the place that it's kind of hidden from anyone. Um, yeah. So, and it ended up, it was a dodgy rope, oh, <laughs> which is why I'm still here. Um, oh, well, I am happy. It wasn't was a,
0: a dodgy rope.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I had that and a couple of times it got close. I always find it interesting where people count an attempt. Yes. Because tell me about I that. I know there a few things that I did that I didn't count as an attempt. Okay. Would. Um, so I guess one of the more notable ones like I hung up sheets to hide my body and stuff so no one would see it put up notes and all that stuff like I was thinking it's going to happen um I hung it all and then I took serical hoping it would make me fall asleep yes and end it that way um and it didn't it just made me really nauseous and mm. I ended up packing it all away and clearing it up and not doing yeah. anything so I didn't in my head count that as an attempt because I didn't actually get off the stool kind of
0: thing that was interesting yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah it was where it needed to be before I considered it to to get to that level of being an attempt so then yeah. that was a I don't know a month a few weeks later months later where I actually stepped off the stool that time and, and tried to end it um yeah. and then when that didn't work I completely broke and then I told people because I'm like I can't even do this yeah. <laughs> like I don't know what to do like yeah. this is yeah
0: um, I can I can just in the teeniest level related in that feeling like we feel like such failures I remember when I went for help and I they said I wasn't sick enough to go to the psych ward and I was like devastated because I was like well I'm not even like sick enough do you know what I mean you're saying like I can't even I'm failing at this so so it it um it it got you to spiral when you were doing the research and the planning and I know in the book like the testing and such did in that moment did you feel relief from the depression or just on auto auto mode or what it yeah tell me I'm just so curious
1: it no I didn't definitely wasn't relief from it it was just I didn't want to have a failed (laughs) attempt yeah. I didn't right. want to have an attempt so I wanted to make sure I knew yeah what was going to happen
0: and everything so that's so that's, fascinating yeah. yeah that makes sense that makes that makes a, a lot of sense also too when you when you talked to it that same friend um was kind of came along and yeah. that's the part in your book where where you wrote about how, what's it called? Like how not to tell someone that you, oh, yeah. you did you have three? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about those. Tell us about those. Cause I found that really interesting. And for those of you that I always feel like I have to say this, cause I feel like I'm going to get hate for those of you that are like, why are they like kind of laughing or being awkward about it? Because you have to exactly exactly we're not being nonchalant and this is very serious and heartbreaking and i'm bald in your book but just for people that listening that don't experience any mental health disorders or anything it it is a release or we just have to so please think that please don't think we're not taking it seriously and send me messages that i'm not taking it seriously because i am
1: yes no it
0: it is yeah but you can't i know you can't just Cry every time you talk about it. It I know, and I appreciated that part in your book. It almost felt like a little bit of a okay back into the story. So tell tell us about those because I loved uh, I loved reading about them.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I had like yeah, I do this thing of like how not to tell someone you tried to kill yourself because it's a really awkward thing to do, and I did it wrong pretty much every time. Um, So the first time was um, just afterwards when. It hadn't worked and I called this friend and she had been supporting me all the way through it. She knew the most of my thoughts, probably even more than my husband. Um, She's another psychologist and- Oh, wow. She was, I guess, able to hold it a bit more for me in that way Um, and I just called her and I didn't say anything. I was just breathing down the phone and sobbing and she was like, what's happened? and i didn't say anything she's like are you safe i said yes were you safe no wow. and then she came over and so that was kind of wow. how i told her which
0: yeah.
1: um and yeah she just left work came sat with me got me to call my husband he came home we sat we talked i had So i guess this is where the kind of book came in yeah. Um, so I did initially started writing it. I was going to write a book. I was manic. I was going to write a book and it was going to explain bipolar and it was amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then I got depressed into this depression and I kept trying to write the book, but it became more and more about me and then it felt fake. And then, so I made it about me. I converted it to like, okay, let's do something that's actually honest. And I kept writing it and it sort of had all my thoughts in it. At the point i tried to kill myself there was like a 5 word suicide note but i printed out because i'm like wow. this explains what's going on in my head um and so i got my friend and my husband to read it and they both sat there crying going i didn't know how you felt and i'm like how did you not know i've been trying to tell you like you're the people i've been the most honest with yeah and even they hadn't really understood what was going on so that was the first time of telling someone um and then I had another friend who I wanted to tell. And again, I, i messaged them saying, I have to tell you something. And they were like, okay, you're freaking me out. What is it? And I'm like, I've got to do this in person. And again, I just basically broke down. I was like, I tried to kill myself. And they were like, because <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> they didn't, yeah. they didn't know. Um, and then there's also like trying to tell work and people like that, because I had so even after I, had tried to kill myself. I was terrified of being put in hospital because I didn't want work to know. Right. And this was like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Would be work finding out what was going on.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: And it wasn't until I was better that I'm like, I can't let me keeping this a secret kill me. So therefore, I need to tell. Yes. More widely, what's happened. Um, and you, know, I'd rehearse it all in my head as to what I was going to say, and I'd get in there and. It was, I don't know how to say this like you know how do you bring this up out of nowhere with your boss and go, this has happened and I don't need anything because I'm doing better
0: now but yeah I have to have it known so if I get there again I can ask for help wow Uh, wow that is that is huge were you afraid that you might lose your job or more like ego wise like you didn't like it's your job you didn't want people to to, to know and think that you're maybe like not good at your job or something like that what were you thinking
1: yeah I think it was I wasn't worried about losing my job because I worked for the department of health and you yeah, would hope, can't really happen. You would hope. Um, <laughs> but um it was more about the stigma and about like yeah people judging you or even like people monitoring you I didn't yeah. want that I don't want people yeah. going She'll okay? oh, be quiet today like is something going on like you know it's like I can do my job and I can do it well yeah it's more about just I just need to be able to seek help like I don't need anything happening as yeah. so yeah it was that worry about that kind of stigma and stuff
0: yeah going yeah on. yeah wow wow so at that point um with your friend and your husband they know so at that point do you go back to the doctor and start pursuing a uh, diagnosis even further tell me about how that came to came to be yeah
1: so basically the doctor that I was seeing at that point was a GP so in our system general practitioner who had a special interest in mental illness okay so that's who I'd been working with and then told her what happened and she went I can't help you (laughs) basically um and sent me to a psychiatrist okay and that was the best thing that happened because that psychiatrist was amazing love her she was great Mm -hmm. um and she was the first doctor that I'd seen that really helped. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of happened. And that first appointment with that psychiatrist, we sat, we sort of gone through the history. And then we sat there for about five, 10 minutes in silence. Well, she went, am I going to force you to go into hospital? Um, because and in hindsight, she should have. Right. But I lied quite a bit to make yeah. sure that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. that was the best thing because then she changed my medications, got me on the right medication, got me through it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like that question I, I found for some reason, I found that question. I find it because people they, and it needs to be asked, but the, are you going to uh, harm yourself or others or whatever I found? I remember finding that just like such a, like stigmatized, humiliating question for me, for some reason, that was like the a huge huge question and I think like you said she she probably should have so there's no shame if you are someone that has gone into the hospital or sometimes even though I know there's terrible experiences and good experience sometimes it's the only only yeah. choice and I don't know what it's like in Australia but we don't seem to have a middle ground here in Canada or I would probably say North America where it's like here even though it's free you're on a waiting list it's like oh hey i'm not doing very well oh okay you can see a psychiatrist in three months it's like well what about in the in-between where maybe i don't really want to be here but like you functioning and haven't you know quite done but there's no like in-between care you have to either go to emergent emergency and get hospitalized or wait is it like that yeah. in australia yeah on mental health care like
1: we have you know, free healthcare as well, but okay. mental healthcare, not so much. Um, it's very poorly funded. So um, trying to get into the public system for that, unless you are going to kill yourself like tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. it probably isn't going to happen. Um, like it's, it's just not really a thing um, so much. So you, you tend to have to go through the private system and Um, like that's there's a rebate but there's still a gap you get you have to pay so I think some psychiatrists will bulk bill so you don't have to pay but it's pretty rare yeah
0: Um, oh that's interesting see we don't even have that option right like you can't you don't have an option to like hey I'll pay which is terrible if you're like privileged right like it it should be equal but yet it's like equally bad (laughs) yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah so, yeah yeah oh that's so interesting okay so tell me about um so I remember there was, was a one part about when you were when you would walk you would walk near was it hills or cliffs or or something you and your friend was trying to get a hold of you I remember that part in your book am I remembering correctly
1: yeah yeah I mean there was probably a couple so I think yeah, okay there was so early on before I kind of settled on the hanging thing I did go to, there's a very well-known suicide spot in Sydney.
0: Oh, really? And
1: um, so I'd been there. I went there at two different times. Okay. Um, And that one I did. So the one time I went there and I did think I was going to go through with jumping. um, And I did feel clearer once I got there. I was like, you know what? I can wait. I can come back tomorrow. I'll wait. And I'd had, that friend had called me before I left, cause I was supposed to be meeting her and I canceled that. Um, cause my husband would think I was with her and you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she said to me, like basically how important I was and that this was gonna get better. And when I was there, I was like, maybe she's right. Maybe she's right. So I'll go home. Um, and then there was another day um, that was getting close to when my actual attempt was where yeah, I'd gone in to the bush sort of was between my work and my home
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and I honestly I was just I get very agitated depression which is once dangerous is when it's just I've got the racing thoughts going on yeah they're all negative and that was kind of where I was and just I can't think I can't do anything in that way so um yeah I was sort of in the bush and she was trying to find me
0: and yeah I am so grateful for your friend (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. She like such She's such a special a, person. A lovely friend. So for those of you that are worried about your friends, point blank ask, right? Yes. Point blank yep. ask. We don't have, let's not tiptoe around. Just, just, just ask. It's so yeah. awkward, I'm sure. But as you can hear, it's helped save it. Ellen's yeah. life. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. saw the amazing psychiatrist and you started getting the help. What does um, what does it look like since then? So, do you still get suicidal thoughts? How does your medication help? Because I know um, for me it mutes, or for other people it takes some parts away and not. What does what does it look like for you since you've found the right medication? So I
1: have had a couple of like relapses. So initially I was like, okay, this is done. I'm on medication. I'm going to be fine for the rest of my life. Yeah, like I knew the statistics, which is like eighty percent of people with bipolar will still have episodes even medicated. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, no, I'm in the twenty percent. Yeah, um, I was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but what I found is that they were able to be tweaked with medication, yeah, to end it much quicker. Okay. Um, so when it has happened, yeah, it can get tweaked. Um, one time I realized because I'd stopped medication. Yeah, and don't recommend that. But yeah. Nope. Um, and so that took longer to end because it
0: yes. takes yes. so when it, you it. did that, were you were you manic or depressed, or were you just thinking like cause sometimes I convince myself, maybe I don't, maybe I don't even have this.
1: Yeah, I was in the maybe I don't. I'd been stable for quite a while and just yep. was like. I had, my psychiatrist had moved okay. and it was further away from my house. I was like, Oh, I'll find a new psychiatrist.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, yeah. so I
1: didn't actually have a psychiatrist. Right. And so I just, I very slowly weaned it. Like I didn't just stop it, yeah. but I took like a little bit off. Oh, nothing's happening. Okay. We'll take a little bit. And then I was medication free, like for a while, um, yeah. six, nine months. Yeah. And then.
0: And then I got depressed again. Yeah. Um, and so did the writing. did the thoughts come back then in the in the yes. relapses and like yes. back to suicidal thoughts? Back to suicidal
1: thoughts. Back to I deserve this. I don't deserve to get better. So I would start taking medication, then stop because I deserved to feel yeah. like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I finally got back into the same psychiatrist I had had. I was like, I'll travel. It's fine. Yes. And she was like, Did you start the antipsychotic again? And I'm like, No. She's like, Start that as well. and so I started that and then those thoughts about I deserve to suffer and deserve to die went away so the antipsychotic for me
0: does that gets
1: rid of those so that's why I think they're a little bit in that delusional kind of way yeah because yeah it's the antipsychotic that
0: that takes it away and that just shows like I don't know how people can still think that it's like a choice or like a a, right like when something when a medication works that drastically like it is a brain disorder right yes is medical but I hear you with the other part in fact it sounds kind of (laughs) different to say but just over the past like I was diagnosed in 2010 so 12 years And just in the past little bit, the word, even though I've known it, the whole word, like chronic illness Mm. and incurable, I knew that, but I didn't actually think about that before. Right. Especially when you have long periods of euthymia or feeling regular, I mean, there wasn't even pre-medication, like there were long periods of like i'm fine like i had kids i had i mean as fine as i could be but it isn't i think that's a big myth in that you're always either one or the other and some people might experience that but from a lot of people i talk to there are periods short long different um yeah different periods of that so that's what makes it so tricky so tricky right yeah Yeah. i mean
1: there's so many reasons people with bipolar come off medication from that
0: oh i feel fine i must be fine yeah exactly you know? Yeah. And I find too, like, I was much um, more on my he- like healing journey kind of managing once I could be like, Hey, if I have to take this forever, so what? Because there's kind of this thing in our society that's just like, when are you going to get off medication? Yeah. Or like, it's a crutch. I'm like, no and like you're saying um i actually have suicidal thoughts and plans when i'm not on this medication why would i ever stop taking it yeah right Right? oh that's so interesting i would love if you don't mind i would love to read um just a a short excerpt from your from your book i have it here on my ipad um just because i think for um those of us that struggle we might be able to identify. And I just thought it was written really beautifully. And for those that love someone or just here trying to understand, um, maybe it can just, just help that understanding a little bit more. So it's in the, I believe, chapter called Knife's Edge. And it says, burnt, broken, failing, falling, help, someone please help me. Destroyed, empty, scared, scared to drop again. This was probably when I was supposed to call my psychiatrist or psychologist and ask for help, but that scared me too. I saw that as weakness and I was already so weak, fragile, crumbling into nothing. There was so little left of me that I couldn't cope with anything. I sat at my desk feeling pathetic, useless, and incompetent. My office door was open, but I was unable to move from my computer to shut it because the tears wouldn't stop rolling down my cheeks. And I was terrified that someone would see and ask what's wrong. There was nothing wrong except me, except my useless, broken mind that couldn't hold on to any positive emotions, but relished in the misery and pain. It felt so much harder after a more m- moment of normality. You had talked about a time, I think it was acting or, or something, which was your time of normality. The moment last night when I felt, oh, here. The moment last night when I felt enjoyment on stage but it was so brief such a small moment of joy and to lose that again and to find myself back in the darkness was unbelievably painful and I'm just going to add one more part not because I'm trying to wrap it in a bow but I also thought you you go on to talk a little bit more and then I just loved these lines it said the hopeless hopelessness was threatening to overwhelm me i knew that was dangerous i knew i needed to hold on with all my might to some sliver of hope but i didn't know how and i thought that i i like highlighted it on my on my ipad and i just that was just so powerful how does that feel having someone read your book or that part to you
1: it takes me back a bit. Yeah, cause I don't know about you, but I find like if I'm not depressed, I don't really remember what it feels like. Yes. Like when I am depressed, I can't remember what anything else feels like. And the same yeah. to kind of like mania, it's like- Yes. It's whatever emotion I'm in, I'm like, I don't remember- The other one. I feel it. Yeah. Um, yeah, whereas like having, that, having the book that's written in that, it's wow. like, that takes me back. And I feel sorry for that person. <laughs> Cause it's like, yeah. that's not
0: really me. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. almost like you personify it, right? I've been trying to do that with my anxiety as well, because that's the one that makes me feel um, like a lot, like what you described, like a failure or whatever. We're back here again, kind of thing. And I've tried to, I've, I i like gave it a name. I like yeah. being a teacher. I like alliteration. So I call it Agnes anxiety. And just, it seems that. so ridiculous when when my psychiatrist was talking about doing this. But it helps because it you're able to distance yourself from like it being, uh, you know, something fundamentally fundamentally wrong with my personality, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really really powerful. So um, before we wrap up, I could talk. I don't want to tell everybody your whole book, so they will go and buy it. Um, tell me about. I would just love to hear. Um, one, how you were doing this week. And then two, what would you say to someone who's listening right now and identifying with a lot of the hard parts of your story? What would would you say to them? So a (laughs) two-parter. Just I'd love to hear about this week because I know sometimes it's too much to ask about how are you doing now? And then also if you had something to say to others that are that are finding themselves in your story. Well, I guess
1: at the moment I'm in a fairly good place so I'm you know I have the emotions that everyone has I have two little kids they give a lot of emotions but it's Mm -hmm. it's euthymia there's good days there's bad days but it's euthymia it's not a yeah um, anything problematic and in terms of what I would tell other people I mean there's sort of two two bits that I kind of want to say of like if you what I think I would do for someone in my life so if you're listening and it's someone in your life that you're worried Mm -hmm. about the most powerful thing is being there it's Mm -hmm. not what you say it's about being there it's about doing things like I'm at the shops can I pick you up you know a roast chicken or like you know can I actually doing things inviting someone even if they say no a lot just letting them know that you care about them yes that you're there and that you value them as a person um so that would sort of be for that and if you're someone who is in that struggling is to reach out and tell someone because People do not know what is going on in your head. They don't pick up subtle cues. Mm -hmm. Everyone is way too wrapped up in themselves to pick up what's going on for someone else. Like you do as hard as it is, Mm -hmm. you have to reach out and let people know whether it's a doctor or a psychologist or a friend Mm -hmm. or whoever it is and try and explain it, whether it's recording it or whether it's writing it down, whether it's, you know, whatever's going to make it easier. Yeah. For you whether it's going reading a memoir that makes sense to you and going read this yeah <laughs> this explains how I'm feeling like,
0: yeah yeah that. yeah um, I know some people have like sent people different episodes of our podcast I feel so honored about that and yeah and books and such um yeah, yeah that's really really powerful advice well one I, of the my favorite responses I had to my memoir was
1: I yeah. gave it to a friend um to read. And she read it and then she had a really good conversation with her sister who she knew had struggled and she'd never understood it. And she read the book and went, I didn't know and Mm -hmm. had a real and honest conversation with her sister. And she's like, it's the first time, but I've really listened to what she had to say. And I'm like, that's why I wrote the book. (laughs) So people have those conversations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I am so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for Um, your book, it, I just think it's really, really going to help people um yeah Yeah. it is it is um and I just want to let everybody know that I'm going to put all the details but yes go go and buy it read it and just a reminder you don't have to live with bipolar to read these memoirs and stories in fact I think it's of even a more importance and that it will help break stigma by people just um learning learning about Mm. other people so that they can flat out flat out ask. And I am so happy that you and your book exist. And I um, I love what you're putting out on that, your Instagram as well. It's um, really, really helpful. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for for showing up vulnerably today and sharing things that are really, really hard to say. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's been nice. <laughs> it's been nice talking. To you. Yeah,
0: it was really nice talking. I always feel Yeah, it's so bizarre to explain to other people how I feel uplifted after a hard conversation like this. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is Bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be-future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies and we'd just love for you to join us there it is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces if you're a listener for the podcast if you could leave a review we would be forever grateful again thank you for being here with us let's get the word out let's share lived experiences so that we can change The ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.